Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your great love and mercy. We thank you, Lord, for bringing us safely on these dangerous highways. We ask, Father, for the gift of your Holy Spirit now, and we ask that you be our teacher. And we pray this in Jesus' name, and we claim the merits of his holy and most precious blood. Amen. Right, this is the, how we're going to work it out today. Today we're going to be talking about the Gideon Quotient. The Gideon Quotient. The selection of God's last day workers. The Gideon Quotient. Tomorrow we're going to be talking about the Ellie and the Loud Cry. The Ellie and the Loud Cry. Now, I don't know how many of you are actively involved in literature evangelism. Let me see the hand of those who are actively, currently involved in literature evangelism. Okay, one... One and a half persons. You're a half person. All right. All right. We have one and a half persons actively involved in literature evangelism. Now, let me just give you a, a, a quick rundown on the state of the work. You could take a fork and stick, a, stick it into the LE work right now. Literature evangelist departments all across the United States of America are closing down, especially in the, lake, in the regional conferences. If there is an LE department open, it is strictly for student workers. Young people who go out and knock on doors during the summer. But the literature evangelist as a full-time worker is diminishing. Yea, I would even say it's dead. We are at a critical point. And the funny thing is, God says that this is one of the last works. And I'm thinking to myself, well... If you go to the Allegheny East Conference, and I used to work for that conference, and you go to that conference, and the full-time workers, you can count on one hand for five states. The full-time worker, you can't, you can't even get five full-time, hardcore, who bring it in, putting out books on a regular basis. It, the work is suffering greatly, but there's a reason for this. We're going to look at the book of Judges. Open your Bibles to Judges. We're going to look at the biblical principles, then we're going to talk about practical applications of what we can do to help the work flourish. Judges chapter 7. Judges chapter 7. We're going to do a quick survey here and then we'll delve into some specifics. Judges chapter 7, beginning at verse 1. Judges chapter 7, beginning at verse 1. The Bible says, Then Jerubbabel, who was Gideon, and all the people that were with him, rose up early and pitched beside the well of Herod, so that the hosts of the Midianites were on the north side of them by the hill of Moriah in the valley. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are what? They're too many to give to the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand have saved me. Now this is interesting because I, when I look at what's happening right now in the literature work, I say to myself, we can't win any wars with this many people. We, there's not enough people to go out and knock on all the thousands of doors that are in Chicago or that are in New York, that are in Florida. What, what is God going to do in this last work if this is one of the last works? It says the people are too many, God said. But notice what else it says. It says in verse, it says there are too many, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand 
have saved me. Verse 3, now therefore go to proclaim in the ears of the people saying, whosoever is what? Fearful and afraid. Now, this is one of the main things that stops people from doing literature work. They are fearful and they are afraid. They're afraid of what people are going to say at the doors. They're afraid of how, I don't know, what, if, how the no is going to affect them. And no is actually a good thing, just so you know. <laughs> no is a good word. Because what it does, when, when you knock on doors, and William can testify to it, and my other literature evangelists can testify to it, when someone tells you no, self gets upset. And when someone tells you no in a rude way, self gets real upset. If someone tells you no and rips up your book and throws it back in your face, self gets real angry. No is a good word for the one who's trying to perfect Christian character. You wouldn't know how bad you were unless that no came to you. It's very easy to stay in your house and pop in a video and listen to pastor so-and-so and so-and-so, but it's very difficult to go knock on the door and that person say, what are you doing here? Why don't you go get a real job? Mm -hmm. I've been doing this for 12 years, and people keep saying that to me over and over and over again. I have to remind them, this is a real job. You have no idea how real this job is. So those who were disqualified, first and foremost, were those who were fearful and afraid. The Bible says perfect love casts out what? Fear. Cast out all fear. So there must be something that happens to the literature evangelist where fear is cast out of the heart. Let's go a little further. In Judges chapter 7 now at verse 3. It says, Now therefore go to proclaim... In the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. And their return of the people, notice this number, twenty and two thousand, and there remain how many? So you're telling me twenty-two thousand. That means it started out with thirty-two thousand, it ends up with twenty-two thousand left. Only ten thousand are remaining. I mean... I would never admit to my boys, yo, I'm afraid. Because that was, the, that was the stipulation. If they're fearful and afraid, tell them, if you're afraid, you have other things to do at home, go home. And 22,000 men say, yo, we can't handle this. Let's pack up. Let's get out of the work. We're fearful and we're afraid. And beloved, this is exactly what's been happening prophetically. The people have become fearful and afraid. They say, well, we can't sustain ourselves by doing this work. We can't take care of our families by doing this work. But the thing is, the battle is not yours, but whose? And if you're working for God, God provides for who? He provides for you. If God has called you to this work, He will provide for you at every single step. I'm a living testimony. My brother, brother Peyton is a test. We went through this together. Straight up. Nobody was paying us. We had to eat by the book. If books didn't go out, we didn't eat. And the moment, and this is very interesting, you know, because we were, we were doing this for like two months. We were just deciding we're just going to live off the books, live by faith. And then we all decided, you know what, let's stop doing this. Let's just go get some real jobs. As soon as we did that, bills got out of control. Stresses started coming out of, but when I was doing what the Lord wanted me to do, everything was exactly where it was supposed to be. It's the moment that we step outside of God's ordained means that things become more difficult than what they're, they're supposed to be. We start living above what God has told us to live. 
But when we live within God's parameters, within God's rules, within his, 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 his ordination of this work, you are provided for in abundance. It's not, my wife and I are not asking, we don't beg anybody for anything. But every time we need something, the Lord, here's, here's a little bit of something for you, Andre. And, and on top of that, buy that nice bed for your wife. The Lord is the provider. And, and this is a mindset that many of us have to get out of, period. We think the, the boss He's the one that pays us, so that's why we dedicate nine to fives to him on a regular basis. But the boss doesn't pay you. You see, the economy's about to crash. How are you going to get paid? Right? right. The, the economy is about to go caputo, and how are you going to get paid? Your boss is not going to be able to pay for you. He won't want to pay for you. He's going to want to take care of himself. Well, let's look a little further at what's, what happens here in, in Judges chapter 7. And notice what it says here, verse 4. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people are yet too many. Still, 10,000 is too many. Bring them down to the water, and I will try them for thee there. So what's, who's trying them for, for, for Gideon? So God is trying the soldiers to see who is qualified to do the last day work. God's doing the qualification. I don't do the qualification. I don't sit down in an interview with brother, my brother here and say, Now, Brother Lemon, um, now, how, how many years have you been in the corporate business? Okay, you've been in it 25 years, you'll make, you'll make a great call porter because you've been... That's not... I don't qualify him. God is the one who's going to try, Brother Lemon, to see if he's qualified to be the last day literature evangelist. Does that make sense? Yeah. Amen. Let's go a little further. This shall go with thee. Okay, back up. I will try thee there, and it shall be that of whom I say unto thee, this shall go with thee. The same shall go with thee, and of whomsoever I say unto thee, this shall not go with thee, the same shall not go. So he brought them, he brought down the people into the water, and the Lord said unto Gideon, Everyone that lappeth of the water with his tongue as a dog lappeth, him shalt thou set by himself. Likewise, everyone that bowed down on his knees to drink. And the number of them that lappeth, putting their hand to their mouth, were three hundred men. How many men were there? But all the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees to drink water. Now this is very interesting. Because in the literature work, you do have needs. You know, I have a little girl. She's 15 months now, so I have to take care of her. My wife, she's beautiful. You know, I've got to keep her looking beautiful. You know? So there are needs. But there's a different approach to our needs. See, there's one group of people who saw their needs so much that they got down on both knees, put their face in the water, and just went, went to town. But there's another group who knew what their needs were, but they still had their eyes on the mission. So they didn't let their needs consume their mission. So they lapped up the water with one hand and they drank, but they still had their eyes on the ultimate goal. Looking and scouting out the land to see if their enemy was approaching. There's a difference. This is why many, many literature evangelists leave. Number one, they leave because they're afraid. Number two, they leave because they're so caught up in their material needs that they miss out on their responsibility of looking out for that enemy. And many have left. Many. Driving trucks now. What are you driving a truck for? God, God didn't call you to drive a truck. He called you to be a literature evangelist. Let's go a little further. Let's look at, let's look at this. Verse 7. And the Lord said unto Gideon, Be by the 300 men that lap before I save you. By how many? 300. Now, they made a movie recently called The 300. Fictitious in nature, based on some historical facts, but fictitious, really. I thought to myself, if they had only looked at this Bible and taken the real 300. God used 300, a very small number. 
I, I'm going to propose to you that God's going to use a very small number of literature evangelists. There are literature evangelists right now who are doing the work simply to make money. Bottom line, they got, they got a hold of our health books and they're going into churches and they're just selling out of control. Just selling books. Oh, wonderful. $10,000 a month. Great. But where's the souls at? Have you, have you, did you talk about Jesus? Did you let them know that Jesus is coming soon? Did you open the great controversy to the people? Did you talk to them about their soul condition? See, God's about to disqualify those literature evangelists. They're about to be disqualified from the work. Then you have other literature evangelists like the ones I run in the summer. You know, you got students and they run out there and they do their summer program and they get finished and they say, ah, I'm never doing that again. That's all right. We don't need you. You're disqualified. <laughs> because you're in the work for the wrong reason. You're in, the, you're in the work to see if you can make money. If, you're, if God called you, he will sustain you. This is, what, this is the key point. So when God took these 300 and, they, and, and Gideon went down, and notice what, it, notice what it says. It's very interesting. Notice what it says in verse 8. So the, so the people, verse 7, And the Lord said unto Gideon, By the 300 men that lappeth will I save thee, and deliver the Midianites into thy hand, and let all the other people go every man into his place. And I thought that was interesting because, can you imagine, 10,000 said, Yeah, we're staying. We ain't afraid. And then Gideon comes on top of the shoulder. My brother, we're not going to need your services. Go ahead and get out of here. The people are like, wait a second. You crazy, Gideon. You're going to go up there with 300? You need me. No. We don't need you. This is what God is doing right now. Right now. There's a reason why God is shutting down the conference work in a certain way. He's allowing it to go down for a reason. Not the conferences are evil. That's not the issue. The issue is we've departed from the blueprint. We've lost focus on what we're supposed to be doing. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? So we got to get back to the blueprint. How did God tell us the canvas? So I, I got excited. You know, I was talking to Jeremiah on the phone. I said, yo, man, I think I have found something that we've been missing in our literature work. And it's not that it wasn't there. It's there. It's, it's plain as day. And when I show it to you, you're going to be like, oh, that's, that's easy. Well, that makes sense. Literature evangelists. <laughs> right? That's what we're called. Literature evangelists. To evangelize. It didn't say literature seller. <laughs> it said literature evangelists. So we've lost the focus. We've, we've, we've become a little confused on what we're supposed to be doing. But notice what else happens here with Gideon. Verse 8, so the people took victuals in their hand and their trumpets and set, and their trumpets, I like that, and set all the rest of Israel, every man into his tent, and retained those 300 men, and the host of Midian was beneath him in the valley. Verse 9, and it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Arise, get thee down into the host, for I have delivered it into thine hand. Now, had Gideon gone out to go to, go to battle yet? No. no, but the Lord had already said that the battle has already been given to him. It's already been delivered. But notice, notice Joshua, Joshua's, I mean, uh, Gideon's response. Notice, notice his response. Verse 10. But if thou fear to go down. and I, I love the Lord because <laughs> it's like, okay, now Gideon, I know you're a little fearful. So if you're fearful, man, go ahead down. Take your, your armor bearer with you and go check out what's going on. So he goes down in verse 
11 says, And thou shalt hear what they say, and afterwards shall thine hands be strengthened to go down into the host. They, then went he down with Phira his servant into the outside of the armed men that were in the host. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the children of the east lay along in the valley like the grasshoppers for a multitude. And their camels were without number as the sand by the seaside for the multitude. Do you see the picture? It's a lot of them. A lot versus a very, 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 very little. It's like us in this camp meeting. It's probably, I don't know, what, two, three hundred people here? All of us decide we're going to go take out the whole city of Chicago. But the city of Chicago is armed with weapons. They're ready. They're all there. Notice what it says. Verse 11. And thou shalt hear what they say. And afterwards shall thine hand be strengthened to go down to the host. Then he went down with fear of his servant into the outside of the armed men that were in the host. And in many nights. Verse 13. And when Gideon was come. Behold, there was a man that told a dream unto his fellow and said, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and lo, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the host of the Midian, and came into a tent, and smote it that it fell, and overturned it that the tent lay along. And his fellows answered and said, This is nothing else save the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel, for in his hand have God delivered Midian and all the hosts. Wait a second. This is strange. This is strange. There are multitudes upon multitudes of people. Nowhere has Gideon done any other exploits in the book of Judges. Nowhere has he ran any armies so that they would know who he is. Well, how did they know Gideon was coming? How did they know the name? But, beloved, let me tell you something. Many of us in this room are called to be literature evangelists. Many of us. And not all. And if you're not called to be a literature evangelist, all right. You're called to be the medical missionary. There's only two works at the end. Medical missionary and literature evangelist. And they're going to be blended into one. I'm going to show you that tomorrow. They're going to be blended into one. God's last day soldier. But it's interesting that before I even go out and knock on the door. Before Kendall goes knock on the door. Before my boy William or Brother Lemon goes knock on the door. The Lord has already sent his angel. He's already sent his angel. And all we are doing is delivering a message that the angels already prepared their heart. We work in concert with angels. I, I can't say that about a lot of other works on a full-time basis, door to door. I mean, a pastor can get up and preach once a week and feel the power of God. After that, what is he doing the rest of the week? But it's something about the literature evangelist when he decide, decides to wake up in the morning and knock on doors. One after the other, after the other, after the other, after the other. And angels are with him at every step. And it's amazing. And, and, and we can testify to this. It's amazing. You get to a door and you won't know what to say. And the person comes out and they're crying. The person comes out and they have problems. And what are you supposed to say? But we're told very clearly that angels will speak through you. Through you. That's powerful. That's powerful. Don't worry about me, brother. I'm, I'm all right. I'm fine. It's good for me to sweat. I got to lose some of that impurities, you know. It's one of the ways that toxins get out the body is sweat. Amen? So Gideon and his army, they, 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 he gets the word that, okay, they know that I'm coming. And this is interesting. This summer, we went and knocked on some doors. 
We got to a city, and we know Satan was afraid. Extremely afraid. We had just sold three great controversies on one street. My friend Hanif had went and knocked on the door. Listen to this now. We went and knocked on the door. I met a mason. Now Hanif, is a, he's a very scholarly young man. He's only 19, but this brother knows a lot. He knocked on the door. The man says he's a mason. Hanif says, well, tell me about yourself. So the guy starts telling him. The whatever quote, whatever they say, Hanif began to quote it before the man began to quote it. So the guy was like, okay, he knows something. <laughs> so he tried to recruit him into the Freemasons. So Hanif, you know, of course, rejected that, left him with great controversy and told him to read it. No more than three minutes later, a police car comes driving up. Now, understand, we had already went to the police station. We had already told them our names. We had, we had given them our, our social security numbers, all that stuff. They knew we were out knocking on doors. But now police gets called on us. Come to the, hey, you guys need to get out of this town. We're like, what's going on? We, we already talked to everybody. We're, we're, we're clear. We talked to the chief. No, no, no. You guys got to leave. Now, we had just sold three great controversies. You have to understand, when that great controversy goes out, the spirit of prophecy says that angels go with that book into the home. It don't say that about other books. It says the great controversy has an attending angel. So as you hand that, just know it's a spiritual warfare about to take place. So we got that great controversy out. I said, okay, we got kicked out of this part. Let me drive to the other part of town. I mean, the way other part of town. So we drove all the way to the other part of town. I dropped those young people off. And lo and behold, there's a, a cop not in, not, in in not in police clothes. He's just out walking with his wife. He stopped us. Now, who are you? I said, sir, we're, you know, we're just missionaries. No, you got to get out of here. No one talk to me about this. Well, you have to understand. Listen. Literature evangelists, some of y'all are going to get thrown in prison. You see, back in the day, when, when, and we're going to talk about the reformers tomorrow. But back in the day, when they used to sew their clothes into their, the, the, the literature, into their clothing, they had to sew it in, right? Because if they had went out with it open, they would have been put in prison. Am I right or wrong? So the literature evangelists were fearless. They weren't afraid of people. They weren't afraid of police officers. I wasn't afraid of what people thought because they knew that their work was part of a... Look, without a literature evangelist, there will be no reformation. Without a literature evangelist, I dare say there will be no second coming. So God is going to have his people. The question is, are you going to be a part? Are you going to take up the work in all its seriousness and dedicate yourself to the work in all... Because it's a divine work. It is a divine work. I can tell you, Brother Payne can tell you, every day, before you knock on the door, you don't want to get out the car. It's just like, you just, I just, let me just stay here. But once you step out, and you knock on the door, it's on for the rest of the day. Angels are walking with you, you're dealing with people, you're, you're interacting with people, you're learning to love people. When you're preaching from the front, you don't have to love people. It's important to love people from the front, but... When you're dealing with people one-on-one, -on -one, they can tell a phony pretty much fairly quickly. A dollar signs in your eye, they can see that. It, it, but if you're a literary evangelist and you're in a home and you're ministering, you're ministering, there's nothing like it. I'm going to have some young people come and give you some testimonies tomorrow about what they have experienced this summer. In fact, I have one, I have one brother, he's holding the camera. Brother, brother Will, why, why don't you just... Testify for us, my brother. Tell, testify. Tell us a testimony from this summer. Preach, preach, brother. Preach. 
states and the other half stayed in Massachusetts. And um, the reason, honestly, I'm not going to lie. The reason why I went to Albany because I thought it would be easier territory. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, I thought it would probably be a little bit nicer where the houses were probably two miles apart from the neighborhood. But also people were wrong. When I got to Albany, it was kind of just like Brooklyn. Come up, man. Come up. And I'll get you on camera. I'll take your camera. I'll get you on camera, bro. <laughs> Go ahead and testify. And so while um, the first day I was, I was working in Albany, um, I was kind of happy because I was working. I was training another person. He was Brazilian. He didn't speak so much English, but we're basically training them. Because they, they did the big books, which is totally different from the mega books. And so, as I was finishing off my day, I saw this poor guy. He, he, was, he smelled like alcohol, um, and it was kind of raining. So, as me and my partner was walking back to the van, he just knew we were Seventh-day Adventists. He was like, hey, you over there, you know? I was like, hey, what's up? And he started talking to him. He's like, you guys are Seventh-day Adventists? I'm like, yeah. So, I was like, how'd you know? It's this really weird. It's really awkward for a, a poor person, you know, just raggedy clothes, you know, doesn't look like he knows where he's going. And all of a sudden, he asks somebody, are you Seventh-day Adventist? And so we found shelter because it was raining. And then um, as I started talking to him, he was saying how he's a drug addict. He was he was straight up. He's not like how I am sometimes. He, he was straight up. He was like, I'm this, I'm that. I got this problem. I smoke. I steal. He was like, I can't go back to my son because they won't accept me. They're like, look at me. And then I started talking to him about um, peace above the storm, um, God's promises. And then he was like, but I feel that God don't hear me when I pray. And he, 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 he said he gets on his knees every day. He's been praying. God don't hear him. And I've been there before, too. Sometimes when you just feel, 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 which is not what's moving not supposed to feel. I finally got that. Praise God. But he was like, how he really don't, he's been trying to change his life. Um, I showed him a chapter in the Happy, um, Happy Digest, which is the Keys to Happiness, Steps of Christ. It said, uh, the chapter name is called Keys to Limitless Treasures. And he, got, he kind of got upset. He was like, no, I don't want keys. I don't want no treasure. He just wants to change his life. Mm. And that's how serious he was about it. He was like, and then we kind of had to explain to him that it's not the treasures on this earth. It's what God could do, you know, in us. And so um, they had a group of a van that was waiting for me. And so I was like, you know, just walk with us, you know, walk and talk. So we started, I brought him to the van, and that's when one of the pastors got out of the car. Almost half of the group got out of the car. We, you know, circled with him, we talked with him, um, and we prayed with him. And I, I really believe that that was like a special divine appointment for me to go to Albany, just to meet with that guy. Because mm -hmm. um, the places where we were um, giving out the books, most of the people didn't have money. Half of the people were living on welfare checks. Mm -hmm. And... It was a great experience because just two weeks before, this 10-year-old girl got shot. Mm -hmm. And almost at every door, they were telling me about it. And I was like, okay. So I started using, using it in my canvas. I was like, hey, you know, we're missionaries. You know, we've been hearing about this stuff that's going on. You know, can you please fill out the resume? You know, they didn't get no books. And they had many people. They started lecturing me. They're like, keep going. Do what you're doing. This neighborhood needs this. And once I got to the rich neighborhood, they were warning me, hey, don't go to this such and such neighborhood, <laughs> you know? And I was like, okay, I was like, but don't you think everybody needs Christ, you know? And they were like, yeah, but I'm telling you, and so I'm not going to argue with them. You know, so I heard what they had to say, left, and I just praised God. His name was Ron.
Mm -hmm. I pray that we continue to keep Ron in prayers and um, he had no cell phone nor a, and he didn't even have an address and we wanted to send him a Bible worker to study with him the next day so um, they made an appointment to meet with him at a central park and I praise, I praise God for that experience Amen. Amen Thank you brother But beloved, you know what if what if you know how Adventists do ministry, right? We might go to Wednesday night prayer meeting we go to church on Sabbath. We might pass our tracks. Maybe. I mean, that's a hard one to do. Pass our tracks. But knock on doors? That's for the Jehovah Witness, right? We don't need to have a systematic, organi systematic organized method of reaching every person in the community. We don't think about that. Let's just go to church, feel good, and go back home. Let's have revivals at camp meeting and then go back to our church and tell the church that they're in apostasy. But we don't do our work. There's something wrong, beloved. There needs to be a heart transplant. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Exactly right. We can't. I can't. Mean, it, it just woke me up. Amen. That we, um, uh, we're going there every Sabbath, we're singing, and yet still we pass a person on the street and it's really in, in need. And there's, there's some home that God is waiting to send us. But we, you know. Exactly right. Exactly right. Let me read this quotation to you. It's Testimonies, Volume 6, page 22. It says, We have no time to lose. How much time do we have to lose? <laughs> Many times to lose. The end is near. The passage from place to place to spread the truth will soon be hedged with dangers on the right hand and on the left. Everything will be placed to obstruct the way of the Lord's messengers so that they will not be able to do that which it is possible for them to do now. We must look our work squarely in the face and advance as fast as possible in aggressive warfare. I like these words. These are military words. These are military words. Advance as fast as possible in aggressive warfare. So when I come here, you know, I, 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 I like the fact that we're in the country, where it's nice, but this is a warfare. To stand in front of you guys, it's a warfare. To go knock on a door is a warfare. But do you know what the greatest battle is? The greatest battle is not the people at the door. The greatest battle is against self. It's the greatest battle that we will ever have to fight. And the best way to get self out is to make it go do something it don't want to do. Uh, let me just ask a question. You, you know, literature evangelists always tell me this, you know, when they first start. They say, uh, Andre, you know, I just don't like canvassing. I say, I don't either. <laughs> 
I mean, I don't like it either. I mean, but I've been doing it 12 years. But let's ask the question. Yeah, and I always pose the question back to them. Did Jesus like the cross? In fact, the Bible says that he despised the cross. He despised the shame. But for the joy that was set before him, he endured it. What was the joy that was set before Jesus? Souls. People. So do you love people? Oh, yes. Do you want people to be saved? Oh, yes. So I'll go do the literature work because that is one of the means God says that will help save the people. Somebody says, well, it's not my spiritual gift. How do you know? Somebody says, I mean, now we do spiritual gift surveys. I mean, where is that in the Bible? Right? You don't know until you step out there and say, Lord. And in fact, I have something strange to tell you. Every Seventh-day Adventist is supposed to be a literature evangelist. It may not be a full-time one, but you need to be walking around with some literature. When you get to the cash register, you need to be handing out a little steps of Christ or a happy day or something. When, you get, when you're driving down the, down the highway, you get to a toll booth, you need to give out a book. When you're walking by somebody, hey, hey, brother, have you read this book before? Let me show you this right here. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, yeah. Here, man, go ahead and have it. And walk away. Everybody can do that. And if you don't want to talk to anybody, just buy some books. Run, run, to, run from house to house and let them stay on people's doorstep. Put them in, toll, in front of telephone booths. Do they have telephone booths anymore? They kind of took those away, right? <laughs> but, but wherever you can put them, put them. I, I went, to, uh, I went to, uh, uh, to get my oil change one time, and I was sitting there with my books, and I was reading them and reading them. I, I brought two out on purpose. And I, I put the, one of the books down on the table, and I had the other one reading in my hand. One of, the, one of the auto mechanics came over. He looked at what I was reading, walked away. I said, all right. The Holy Spirit made him look. I said, I'm going to leave that book for him. So I paid for my stuff. I said, sir, I left those two books on the table for you guys. Y'all go ahead and keep those books. They're not going to fight you. God, it's free. Leave them right there. I left God's answers, peace above the storm, great country, right there on that table. You can do that. You ain't got to be skilled to do that. Just take the book and leave it on the table. Amen? <laughs> All of us are called to do this work. Everybody. Let me finish this quotation. It says, From the light given me of God, I know that the powers of darkness are working with intense energy from beneath and will stealthy tread. Satan is advancing to take those who are now asleep as a wolf taking his prey. We have warnings now which we may give, a work now which we may do, but soon, it will be more difficult than we can imagine. I think about this because I know it's one of the worst that's going to go through to the end. But she says it's going to be more difficult than I can imagine. Six Bible Testimonies, page 22. God help us to keep in channel of light. To work with our eyes fastened on Jesus, our leader. Who's our leader? Jesus. He's, the, he's the chief leader. He is the general. That's why I don't like when the students say, oh, this is our leader. I'm not their leader. I'm a facilitator. I'm a helper. I'm your backup, you know. But Jesus is our leader. And if we keep our eyes fixed, you know, the literature work is just like salvation. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and you can do anything. The moment you take your eyes off Jesus, the moment you stop communing with God, you can't do literature. You can't even do Bible work. You, know, you can't do God's work without Jesus. And this is, this, is, this is where people get the rub because they become, begin to get tired. You can't even be a husband or a wife without Jesus. Uh, there's some that you wake up in the morning and say, okay. 
You just got to wait before you start talking. Because you have to wake up and communicate with Jesus before you start dealing with everybody else. And this is what's happened because, our, because the reality of there's less conversion in the literature work than reality. This is why there are few literature evangelists. If the church, if the church were converted, beloved. If the church were converted. How many more soldiers would there be? Would there have to be appeals? Please come, come work for us. We need somebody to go knock on some door. That's what we need. Please come work for us. Mm -mm. The heart that is full of the love of Jesus, you can't give him enough work. Is there anything else I can do? Is there, any, is, is there anything else that I can do for Jesus? Anything else? So going back here, I wanted to give you some practical steps. Let's say you wanted to start being a literature evangelist. Because in this room there's only one and a half literature evangelists. <laughs> right? Let's say you want to start being a literature evangelist. If I put down 14 practical steps that you can do. Alright? You have your pen ready? Four, it's in the book. 14 practical steps that you could do if you wanted to become a literature evangelist. We still have a little time. The first step is make sure your heart is right with God. Oh, you say, Andre, of course. I mean, no, 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 you don't understand. Make sure your heart is right with God. Ministry of Healing, page 149 says, Many would be willing to work if they were taught how to what? How to begin. They need to be instructed and encouraged. So how to begin? Make sure your heart is right with God. Next statement. Yes. Ministry of Healing, page 149. Notice what this says. This is Life Sketches, page 375. It says, but, we can't, but what can we do? We sit down and consider, we pray, and we plan how to begin. We are the faithful missionaries who will carry it forward, and how shall they be sustained? The question comes. So what do we do? We sit down, we consider, we pray, and we plan. We'll go a little further here. This is Christian Education, page 50. What is the first thing we're supposed to do in order to start literature work? Make sure your heart is right with God. Now, here's the, here's the proof. The work must begin at the heart. That must be pure, wholly conformed to Christ. Okay. That must be pure, talking about the heart, wholly conformed to Christ's will, Else, some master passion or some habit or defect will become a power to destroy. God will accept nothing short of the whole heart. The heart must be surrendered to God if you're going to start the literature work. Next one, step number two. Make sure your family is seeing true Christianity from you in your home. And I, I say that because I know a preacher, or used to be a preacher, who took his two daughters' heads, slammed them together, yelled at them, Sabbath morning, and then went up to preach to the church congregation. And while he was preaching, 
justified his behavior. Now, no one else knew what was going on except for his family. Justified his behavior, and the audience was saying amen. And they had no idea what he was talking about. So you think, do you think his children were listening to him preach? <laughs> no. Do you think they wanted to, he didn't want to hear anything he had to say because in his home he wasn't living what he was supposedly talking about. So the literature evangelist must make sure that his family is seeing Jesus. Because if his family is not seeing Jesus, what you're showing outside of other people is not Jesus. It's an antichrist. It's a false Christ that you're showing. It's a perpetrator. Make sure your family sees Christ in your home first before you try to preach out to the whole entire world. And it makes it a whole lot easier when your family's in line with what you're doing. My wife and I, we did this together. This is a home ministry. It's not a big organization. This is me and my wife. And we, we, we sit down together. If my wife doesn't see Jesus in me, I'm not preaching. Do you understand? It would be difficult for me to stand up in front of you talking about Jesus is coming soon. Get ready for Jesus to come. The literature work is what we're supposed to do. Health message, get your life together. And in my home, I'm acting like a, a demon. Disrespecting my wife and, and cheating and lying and, and causing all sorts of things, looking at things. Not, it, would be, it, it would be impossible to sustain myself in the literature work doing that. So number one, make sure your heart is right with God. Number two, make sure your family is seeing Jesus in your home. And it's consistent. Morning devotion, evening devotion. Crisis means pray together. Everybody's together. There's a unity. Everybody knows what the plan is. Working together in unison. Number three, pray and ask God what he would have you to do in his ministry. Not everybody is to sell mega books. Not everybody sells book, big, big books. Not everybody's supposed to sell house to house. Some people are supposed to do churches. Some people are so You need to ask God, what would you have me to do in this work so that I can be effective for you? Now remember, everybody's called to be a literature evangelist, so everybody needs to be doing something. Right? So what is it that God will have me to do? It's step number three. That question needs to be asked. Let me, let me back that up with a, a quotation from the Spirit of Prophecy. Back to the family, though, first. Our work for Christ is to begin with the family and in the home. This is Testimonies, Volume 6, page 429. There is no missionary field more important than this. Did you get that? Amen. There is no missionary field more important than my household. So, Niasia needs to see from her daddy, Jesus. My wife needs to see Jesus. No more important work than the household. Before we try to go overseas and baptize... Home. This world needs to be baptized first. Notice what this says. Again, talking specifically about where to begin. Do you desire to become a follower of Christ, yet know not how to begin? Are you in darkness and know not how to find the light? Follow the light you have. What does it say? Set your heart to obey what you, you do know of the word of God. His power, His very life dwells in His Word. As you receive the Word in faith, it will give you power to obey. As you give heed to the light you have, greater light will come. You are building on God's Word, and your character will be built after the similitude of the character of Christ. Now, this quotation has very little to do with literature evangelism, except that the principle is, the light that you have, you need to follow. So what you know how to do, do it. So if you know how to buy books, buy them. And you can hand them out. That's a good way to start. Everybody can start that way. Andre, we need 100 steps to Christ. All right? That's 35 cent a book. 
I'll get that to you. Start handing the books out. It's an easy way to begin doing the literature work. And after that, if you want to upgrade and learn how to get into homes and talk to people and get them to buy the more expensive books that will help them. Now, why do we make people buy books? What is the purpose of that? Anyone? Why not just give them all for free? Exactly right. They'll value it more. So when somebody pay, if, if I gave you, if you spent $100 on this book, no matter what it looked like, it's a $100 value book. And you're going to protect this book with your life. The more money somebody sp spends for a book, the more value they put on that book. <laughs> if I give it for free, you have to understand the cost, all right? Blood, sweat, and tears in this book right here, right? All right, step number four. Consult with others who have been faithful in the canvassing work. Not any old body. Don't just talk to you. Well, somebody said I was a literary evangelist, but those are crooks. You know, don't talk to them. All right? Consult with someone who's been in it for a while, who's been faithful, consistent with it. Talk to them. So what, how can I be a better literary evangelist? What, what do I need to do in order to be an evangelist? Or how do I get my own ministry going? Or how do I work along with the conference? What, what are, you need to ask questions. Proverbs says in the multitude of counsel, there is wisdom. You, know, you need to ask questions to, to those who have been doing the work for a while. Step number five, decide whether or not you will work with a conference, publishing house, or as, God, or as a God-supported ministry. I like to say God-supported ministry, not self-supporting, but it's okay. It's a good, it's a way to say that too. With a team or without a team, if without a conference, decide on a community-friendly name, right? So if you decide that, hey, you know what, I don't want to work directly with the conference, which is okay. There's some conferences you can't work with because they don't have publishing work, like the Lake Region Conference. I don't know of the publishing work being there. So you can go there and say, look, Lake Region, I know you don't have a publishing work, so let me, get, let me do the publishing work for you guys. Let me organize it. You don't have to pay me. No, don't pay me, but let me have access to the church members so I can train them. Until you have an awesome conference there with no workers. All right? So you can start the, your own department there. One of the things that my wife and I have done and we'll get to this step in a minute. We'll get to that step in a minute. But we, we have our, this True for the Day Youth Ministry. So it does literature work, Bible work, and all these different aspects to train members. But what we do is, we go, we set up, like Atlanta Union College did not have a literature program. So they called my ministry to help start a literature program there. Now it's thriving and going very strong. Praise the Lord. But once we establish that, we move on and we start something else. Once it's where it's supposed to be. This is something that not everybody's called to do this. But if you're, if you're wise and you read through that book of Proverbs, you ask the Lord, Lord, how can I help my people? If you want to help God's people, wake up out of lethargy, out of sleep, out of Laodicea, get them out doing the literature work. Even if they just start systematically handing out, and this is one of the other ideas. And I don't know why I have so many ideas, but I have to calm down sometimes. But here's, here's an idea. Let's say you want to do systematic, and it needs to be systematic. You need to put up a, a war map, a map of your city, a map of the town, or a map of the area you want to work. And you need to assign streets to yourself, or, to, or if it's just two of you guys, these are the streets we're going to work on a consistent basis. And we're going to hand out free literature on this street once a week, every week, at every person's home. So they get one piece of new literature this week, we come back next week and say, so how did you like what you read this week? We used to do this at Scottsboro. Well, how did you like what you read this week? Yeah, I liked it a lot. Okay, well, good. Here's another one. Go ahead and read that through. Walk them through. Build relationships. 
a, giving a book to somebody is an excuse to become their friend. That's all, this, all literature work is, is an excuse to become someone's friend, an excuse to get into the home, an excuse to go to their door to talk about Jesus. It's an excuse. Organize in a systematic way. I, I read a quotation. I, I didn't get a, put, a chance to put it on my PowerPoint. There's a quotation where she says, as the work closes, she says the work must become more systematic and more organized. More systematic and more organized. When, when, I, when my team goes into an area, a town, we have a, we have a map. We mark the streets that we drop the students off on. We mark the street. I, I often mark what books got on that street. We have a survey that the people fill out for Bible studies or whatnot, and we take that survey and we give it to the Bible worker. We, we now have been blessed, praise the Lord. We have been blessed to start a mission school. And so we take young people or old people, whatever, they live in the house for a year, and we train them how to become supporting off their own literature work, how to become supporter off their own medical missionary work. We train them on how to do that. For a year, knocking on doors, meeting the people. So we have this map, organized, systematic, what books went out, what people are visited, what lesson the people are on. It's all orderly and in fashion. Yes, sir? Is that training local, or is that something you can do whether, you're, whether the people are near you or in another state? All right, right now it's local. Okay. Right now it's, it's directly, immediately established is local. Now hopefully we can broaden out and establish it further as the students because the young people have the, the mind. Yeah. I mean, they have the mind. So as they're there, they're going to be developing how we can make it go worldwide. You know what I mean? But the, but the, Lord, the Lord is good. The Lord gave us a house for the mission just this week. It was, it's just the Lord is beautiful. He's good to us. But the work needs to become more systematic. It needs to become more organized. So you and you and you and you and you, we need to be connected. We need to be talking to each other. We all need to be talking to each other on a regular basis. We need to have an LE network. We need to be conference calling each other. You know, sending each other a good report of what's going on. Helping each other stay encouraged in this work because it's not getting any easier. It's not getting any easier. But let me, let me show you uh, step number six. It says memorize canvas or strategy. If you don't want to memorize a canvas verbatim, you need to have a strategy. Well, if I'm going to start with book A, I need to be able to transition very easily to book B. And order book C. Well, if I get to book C and, I, and, and I, they're not really responding, I need to drop into my survey to sign up for Bible studies. But you need to have a plan when you go to the door. You're not just winging it. I know some people, I, and I, and I've been doing this for 13, 12 years now. And I get students and they be like, you know, I just want the spirit to lead me. No student, he's not a canvasser anymore. Every single one that said that to me, do not do literature work anymore. You need to have a plan a structure, a system on how you are going to do the Lord's work. How you're going to respond when somebody says no, or how you're going to respond when someone says I have more in church, or I'm a Mormon, or I'm an atheist, or whatnot. You need to be systematically organizing your mind to be able to respond to these things. If you don't put it in there, the Holy Spirit's not going to bring it out. Okay? So you need to be studying diligently. This is a, this is a lot. I'm still learning how to do the literature work. I don't even, you know, I don't even feel worthy to stand in front of you to tell you about this. There's people that can do this better than me. But there's a constant learning process that we're going to be going through. And let me tell you something. It was this summer. I was telling William and I told the others. There's two main points that we're going to be, be tested on in the last days. Sabbath and the state of the dead. So I had the students memorize 
10 to 15 verses on the Sabbath and 10 to 15 verses on the state of the dead. They had to know it from memory. From memory. Can you imagine if every Adventist knew from memory? 15 verses on the... We've gone to do workshops at churches. And we sat there and we said, okay, just give me 10 texts on the Sabbath. 10! Just give me 10 Bible texts on the Sabbath. You can use your Bibles. And don't give me Exodus 20, verse 8 through 11. So, <laughs> everybody's like stuck. And then, so as we proceed, they can't do it. Seventh-day Adventists can't do it. Can't do it. I know it's in here somewhere. That's not going to cut it in the last days. So the literature evangelist, when he's trained properly, he, 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 he begins to be qualified. You understand what I'm saying? He begins to be qualified to do the last day work. Doing literature work makes you study. It makes you pray. It makes you. Because can you imagine now, when you start praying now, you stop praying for, Dear Lord, please bless my family and my friends. and, and uh, Amen. Now your prayers become more deep because you just met somebody at the door. And they just said that they were going to kill themselves unless you came to the door. So when you're praying now, you're praying, Father in heaven, please be with Sister Mary. You become, you become now a royal priest. Bearing the burdens of others. Do you understand what's happening here? It's almost as if God gave the literature work to us so he can save us too. To teach us how to be priests. To teach us how to minister to the hearts of men. To teach us how God feels. Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man... Uh, why would he have to say if any man? Because nobody's opening the door. If anybody would come to the door and open it, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. We go house to house, we knock on doors, nobody's opening the door. And if they open it, they halfway look at you and say, get out of here. I'm eating breakfast right now, I'm putting my best kids to bed. Start to feel what Jesus feels. You start to ache like Jesus aches. Do you understand? The literature work is about being like Jesus. That's what it's about. We are step number six. It says memorize canvas and scripture. If you're in the conference or not, you need to do it. You understand what I'm saying? It needs to be done. Step number seven. Become extremely familiar with every page of every book you are selling or passing out. You need to know the message. You need to know the message. The most powerful literature evangelists are those that know their books. And they are able to reference the books, but not only that they know the books, but they live what the books are talking about. Do you see why there's only so few literature evangelists? Do you know what the books say? The books say we're living in the last days of our history. If you read Council of Dies of Fools, Pathways to Health and Happiness, which is Ministry of Healing, those books tell us what we're supposed to be doing. Do we live according to that? That's why there's so few true literature evangelists. That's why there's so few. I think I'm supposed to tell you what to say. Am I exactly right? Verse, I mean, step number eight. Set up an accounting, inventory, and contact system. You need to set up an organized way to keep track of how, what your money's coming in and the money going out. Keep track of your books coming in and keep track of your books going out. And keep track of the people that buy the books and the Bible studies that are gotten. 
You need to have an organized system in place. You need to have a database or a book or something. Because this is a, this is a ministry, but it's a business. And when I say it's a business, when you, see, you, when you say business and you say IBM or you say uh, Bill Gates, you say those businesses, you think money and they are organized. They are systematic. But God's people, we want to be led by the Spirit, quote-unquote. And we're not organized and we're not systematic. We need to have order and we need to have a system. Order and a system. And you need to set it up before you start working. Before you knock on your first door, you need to have your accounting and your inventory and your contact system set up. So when you get it, all you have to do is put it in. Alright? Step number nine. Set goals. Oh no, that sounds like a, a self-help book. Let me read Education, page 262. Success in any line demands a definite aim. Let's say it one more time. Success in any line demands a definite aim. So I tell my students all the time, I say, what's your goal today? And they say, well, you know, I don't want to set limits on God. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's not, that's, that's not, we're told very clearly to set goals. They need to be specific goals, definite goals. I want 10 books out today. I want 20 books out today. It doesn't mean God's going to give you 10 books or 20 books, but he told you to set a goal anyway, right? So you set that goal, and you set them high, and you challenge God, Lord, I know you can work through me. I know you can get these books out into the home. I know you can get this many Bible studies. Lord, work through me. And God will do it. He does it quite often, beloved. I've had a young person get out 77 books in one day. One day. One day. I had experiences myself where I went to the house and sold 14 books in one house. One house. One day. And it wasn't because of my abilities, my skill. It's because of God's spirit and being diligent. You know, uh, is it is it uh, Proverbs twenty two? This is my. Let me look real quickly here. Proverbs, I believe it's twenty two. Yes, it's Proverbs twenty two and verse twenty nine. This is my, my every, every morning I wake up, I repeat this to myself. It says, See as thou men diligent in his business, he shall stand before kings. He shall not stand before mean men. That means obscure men, people of non-importance. If you're diligent in this work, you will stand before many people. If you are diligent. What does the word diligent mean? Anybody know? Faithful. What else does it mean? Steadfast, persevering. If I, if, I read, if I read the Bible like this, let's, let's, let's do a quick example. Proverbs 23 verse 1 says, When thou sittest to eat a ruler, consider diligent what he's... Be Did you understand anything I said? Of course not. That wasn't diligence, was it? But if you do diligent, you say, When thou sittest to eat. And you stop and say, What does that mean? Diligence. Not overlooking anything. Every word has its place. Every book has its place. Everything has its proper order. If you're a literature evangelist, that's what needs to... If you're a Bible worker, that's what needs to be done. If you're a preacher, that's what needs to... If you're doing anything for Jesus, it needs to be with diligence, persevering. It needs to be done meticulously. 
Because everything we do tells whether or not we are of God or of real of this world. Everything. One little further. We're at step number nine, step number ten. Work your territory systematically. Systematically. Because I know some literature teams, they go out and stand on the corner over here one day and they hand out literature. All right, that's great. Then they go over here and hand out. But that's not systematic. You have no idea what's happening. All right? There needs to be an order to what's taking place. Number 11. Have consistent hours of work. So if you want to do literature work for t two hours a day or two hours a week, be consistent with that time. Do not ever skip out on that one hour. Because the first time you do it, you'll be like, ah. You do it twice, ah. Three times, you won't be doing it anymore. You'll be out of the work. Because, because the work is so, it takes so much yourself to be dead, that if you start missing times and skipping times, you're going to get to the point where you say, ah, well, I have other things to do. And eventually, it'll just be way in the background. So if you set up a time that you're going to do literature work, and you're going to hand out books, or you're going to go door to door, or whatever you plan to do, you're going to set up an online bookstore, whatever. Have a consistent time to do it, and never compromise your hours, unless you're giving yourself more. All right? <laughs> but don't cut your hours. Don't do it. Because the moment you start to cut your hours, it's the moment you start cutting yourself out to work. And soon you just be like, ah, well, well, my kids. <laughs> this is a warfare. And we God needs soldiers. Soldiers, man. Step number 12. Did I say 11? Yes. 11 was can have consistent hours and never compromise those times. 12, recruit others to work with you. The best thing in the world is to have soldiers with you. That's why I love running teams. It's so much easier to do the work when you got a, a squad around you. And if you can't get teams, get your children to go with you. They don't mind going to talk to strangers. They're not afraid of people. We might be afraid, but your kids aren't afraid. So have your children go with you to do the work. Or have other young people go with you. Or other people, your friends, go knocking on doors with you. It's so much more fun when there's more people. And you, you don't need a lot. And if somebody says, well, I, I asked the church to come, and then only one person showed up. Praise the Lord. And you go with that one person, and you consistently pass out literature, give books away, sell them consistently. And what's that one that's given to you? God will then multiply to four. And then once you get the four consistent, God will multiply that to eight. And then he would go to, no, multiply it means 16, to 16. Then from 16 onward. I don't want to do any more math in my head. I could probably confuse myself. But you need to be diligent, recruit others, and work. If you do that, I promise you, I, my wife and I are one. I recruited Kendale and our other friend, Alexia. That was four. Now I have close to, this year, literature evangelists who work for me, probably about 40. And again, I'm not hired by any conference. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? I just was consistent with me, myself, started the ministry, be myself, and I said, hey, I need some help. Hey, why don't you, you look like a good young man, Kendale. Why don't you come on and work for Jesus? He came and worked for Jesus. And I went over to Brother Will. Say, Brother Will, you look like you're a good young man. Why don't you come and work for Jesus? He came and worked for Jesus. And I just invited people to come work with me. Just discipling people, helping people find their way. 
I didn't say they have to do it forever, but I have to bring them along and show them the grounds, show them how to do the work. Beloved, you can do the same thing. It's not complicated. It's just a matter of being diligent and consistent and following God's plan for you. Step number 13. Weekly review what has been accomplished for the week. Throughout the week, you get to the end of the week, you should have like a journal. Sit down with your wife, say, sweetie, and then walk, just talk to her about it, about what has happened. And this is for any work. I mean, it's, it's not just for literature work. If you're doing a ministry, this is something that you should be doing on a regular basis, sitting down and going over. What has happened this week? How can we improve? Is there something more we could do? Is there something else I should be um, delving into? Uh, is there something else I can add to this ministry? Consistently, once a week, go over this. Last but not least, record your experiences on audio. On video, on paper. And please share them with churches, conferences, friends, and your enemies. Let everybody know what's going on. Because there's been a bad report given about what this work is supposed to be doing. So that's why we, that's why we, have, a, we have a good report. We let people know the good of what's going on in literature work. We let people know how the Lord is being victorious. And that we can take this land. There are giants in the land. We know this already. But our God is bigger than the giants. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's step 14. How much time do I have? None. All right. Tomorrow we're going to be talking about the loud cry in the, in the literature evangelist. We're looking at it from a prophetic perspective. Uh, are there any questions? Was it clear? I have a question. Yes. Brother Payton. Sometimes I don't get out to do um, to knock on doors. But there's a company that sent me some literature of Hand the animal. Nailing mm -hmm. Christ. Project Steps to Christ. Mm -hmm. uh, to uh, whole counties, yes. And I'm wondering if that would be as effective as uh, just going to the My sister? What you can do, you do. And then the ones you can't get to personally, get to those people. All right? But you don't, you don't have to go to the, all the zip codes in your town. You know, with, with I was your... thinking about sending steps to Christ. I want to evangelize God for Yes, that's a great idea. That's a great idea. Make sure you have a way of following up the interests that come from that. Okay. Now, the, the paper that's being handed out right now, if you want to be part of our LE network, um, just go ahead and fill it out. Yes, Brother Lemon. Are you, are you yes. Um, question. Will you at some point throughout the camp meeting talk about the different types of ways we can do the LE work? Absolutely. I wanted to talk about it today, but the time time left. So we'll, do, we'll definitely do that tomorrow. We'll talk about the different ways that you can be involved in the literature work. Um, there are several ways that you can be involved. Here you go. Yes, ma'am. Um, I was told that, uh, that in the last day when we lived there, that we should, uh, we should give out all the books that we should be giving out books. Well, not, not only. Um, we'll talk about that tomorrow. What books to, to show in these last days? There's actually, we've been counseled what books to actually share with people. Um, but Great Controversy is one of them, but there are some others that we need to show. We're actually instructed that the 
health message is the right arm of the work, and that our entry wedge is going to be the health message. So essentially, every literature evangelist is going to turn into a medical missionary, and we are told that we are to learn that. In fact, in, in this little book here, I actually wrote the, in the same chapter called the Gideon Quotient, 11 things that God says that are required to do his literature work in these last days. So you, you can go ahead and look at those things. Um, it's right here in this book here. Now what I handed you in this folder, you can open it real quickly. Those steps on how to begin, I have them right there for you. So if you can check off one by one. Um, I did this step, step one, step two, step three. And also I, we gave you a little brochure of our, our ministry that we, has, our other ministry that we started with the missionaries. Um, and also underneath that I gave you a resource list. And this is a places where you can get literature. Um, different, different publishing um, places that you can get books and things. And uh, some are cheaper than others. Um, I didn't put too many conferences on here because you can find those easily. But I just put some other ministries on there that you can be familiar with. And then also I have some quotations on here that would be helpful just for your spiritual fortification. You know what I mean? Because sometimes, you know, our thoughts are just so random. But if we put some of these sacred words into our minds, it will help steady uh, our minds against going too far one way or the other. So I put those in there for you. So hopefully that will be helpful to you. And then, of course, you can contact us anytime um, before 9.30. Amen. Because my baby girl goes to sleep. Yes, ma'am. Are you raising your hand? No. Okay. Are there any other questions? Uh, yes. If you're done with the cards, Kendall, can you collect those? So what will be happening is we'll be contacting you either by phone or email and um, put you part of our network and we can communicate with each other throughout the year. Camp meeting should not be the only time that we talk to each other. We should be sharing ideas because I'm not in your territory, so I don't know what your territory is like. My territory is definitely secular, humanistic, tough stuff up there in the Northeast. You know, you have a little bit more Bible Belt feel down here, you know. Different ways to approach different territories. So we should share with one another. And maybe you have an idea that I ha haven't done yet that we can implement. So we need to be able to support one another. Is that all right? Amen. If there are no other questions, let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your love and mercy. We thank you, Lord, for just this privilege of working for you. We ask, Father, that you write in our hearts exactly how you would have us work in this ministry in these last days. We ask, Father, that you show us the path that we are to do and how to help others come back into the work that they need to be doing in these last moments of earth's history. We thank you, Lord, for the books that have gotten out this year already. And we pray for more workers just as Jesus paid for more laborers, Father. And Father, we pray this in Jesus' name and we claim the merits of his holy and most precious blood. Amen.